This episode of Bushes Breakaway is brought to you by, that's right, the Game Time app. Okay, folks, little pop quiz. We did it last week, but do you think the New York Raider tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience. It's more than a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. That's right, the leader. Pick your deal. See the view of where you're sitting from. Two taps. You buy them in two taps, guys. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the GameTime app in the App Store or Google Play. Work on that clock, or rather, work that clock to your advantage. Hey, and also work on that clock. Do both. Score last-minute tickets with the GameTime app. Download today. Thank you for supporting Bushers Breakaway. And also, join The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Bushers Breakaway. Okay, on today's episode, Gregory and I talk about all things the one New York Rangers game that happened. We have Sean Tierney on from Charting Hockey to break down... Maybe Leah Anderson being the best Ranger. That's right. Little preview. Chris Kreider, the worst. Oh, who knows? Listen to find out. And also, we talk all things good and bad. Five star questions and come back and do a little, uh, you know, little plugs, a little talk about some what if hypotheticals. If you're in the city this this Friday, uh, by the gym mill Friday night, we will be there. Come hang out, watch the Capitals game with us. If not, listen to us on Thursday night on the Athletic feed. Okay, guys, let's get to the show. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Hey, Blue Shirts Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Blue Shirts Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead of V. Athletic, and I'm here with my co-host Greg Cap, but also of the Athletic. Greg, say hello. Yes, deep breath. I had something, and then I lost it. Yeah, so, I, you had like yeah. some sort of thought that you would. Yeah, to... I thought I was gonna. I don't know. I was. I don't know. Okay. You know what? Let me put it this way. Mondays, I was gonna make a right? comment about a thing that is in the news, and then I was like, on second thought, it might not be of the best taste. I just love that we're and now that we live. Now in we're going to get all these comments. Where... You guys are PG now. You've yeah. you've gotten soft. What's happened? You've sold out to the man, and it feels yeah. good. Uh, welcome to the New York Rangers podcast, Blue Shirts Breakaway. We talk all things New York Rangers every single week. Only New York Rangers, your most exclusive source for New York Rangers. Mm. Uh, Carlos Beltran. Will that wasn't be... even the thing I was going to talk about. That's the funny <laughs> thing. Okay. We'll get to that. Uh, it, it, yeah, it rhymes. It, I was going to make a comment about... Uh, a dude whose name rhymes with uh, Shmear Me Shmemer. And I was like, you know what? Probably not. Probably don't. I don't even so know. I, I can't even make that rhyme because that's because how intelligent I am. Let's talk about the one game the New York Rangers played this week. Oh, my God. What are you talking about? We played yeah. a game? Yeah, played one game. Kako, one goal, one point per game player, baby, of this week. This this whole week he's been a point per game player. Unbelievable that he didn't get he didn't get a three star treatment. I don't know anyone else that averaged a goal a game. Who else averaged a goal a game? I didn't see anybody else. I, I, I didn't see anybody else. I didn't realize that because uh, I'm I'm not a schedule expert for the NHL, but I was at work and I got a bunch of notifications from Google. Thanks to Google, and it was uh, pretty much like, hey, there's a ton of hockey games going on right now. I was like, why? Are, what? We still don't. We're not playing. I don't, I don't nope. get it. We're going to get a back-to-back on Thursday and Friday. And if you're in the New York City area on Friday, you can stop and hang out with us at the gym mill. You can find more details at our Twitter. There you go for that. Um, the Oilers versus the New York Rangers. A lot to talk about with this in, in weird ways, right? Let's, uh, let's talk about – I like the way we set up last week's show, the good and the bad. So, 
Oh, we're going to play good news, bad news again. I kind of like it. Do you want to go okay. away from it? Right. It just seems good. No, 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 no. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, bro. Right? The good... Because I feel like there's not a lot of good, you know? The good was, our Lord and Savior, praise be, Capo Caco mm. scored his first goal and... He sure did. ...was assisted on a dime by Ryan Strom. We'll get to Strom during the bad section, but this is the good section. And Ryan Strom had one of the best passes of possibly his career, setting Caco up to, for a nice deke in front of the net to score his first overall goal. The Madison Square Garden, the Madison Square Garden, went totally insane during this point in time. Uh, a long time waited for Capo Caco. Definitely, uh, it was an emotional moment where you could see him sort of uh, trying to hide his smile. Something he doesn't do very often, uh, if you've noticed of pictures of Capo. Smiling, not his thing. Uh, likes to stay stoic and uh, kind of a reserved guy. This time, not the emotion was just all over him. I can only imagine what the thrill of scoring your first NHL goal might be. And uh, the first of many to come. Definitely a... Great move by Kabakako in front of the goal. Looked poised, looked in control, and now has a point in the NHL, unlike uh, his dear rival Jack Hughes, who's six games deep and has nothing. And yeah, six games deep, about to have another head coach, too. Um, I got I have a comment to say about Kako, but I just want to make a clarification point. Sure. I don't think it's fair to put Ryan Strom in the bad category for this week. Really? I, I, I understand the point that we're going to make because I know it's going to be probably the thing we get most heated about this week, but we are entering a point where it's not even Strom's fault anymore. I don't know what else you would have wanted him to do against the Oilers. It was a great pass. I thought he had a fine game. I understand why he was, I'm going too far down a rabbit hole. We'll get to Strom in a second. (laughs) You are. Here's, 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 here's my, here's my Kako point. And I think it's a it's it's a statement about I'm sure other fan bases are like this across the league, yes. but it seems more noticeable considering we're in New York. It's Big New market. York sports fans hitch their wagon to homegrown talents in ways that I don't know if other fan bases do, right? And what I mean by that is this is gonna sound real. <laughs> douchebaggery are you gonna say I'm like maybe like some people it. start a church about a player that's homegrown like something crazy well, we, like do, that? we do that no but it, the, the, that's not even the the assholery part of this i was gonna say it's just being in new york it's not difficult to bring in high profile free agents so it's it's not overly special when the yankees sign mark Teixeira, right because if they don't it's a disappointment it's a disappointment. It was a disappointment when the Yankees didn't sign Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. It's a disappointment when the Mets literally don't do anything. It's a disappointment when Kyrie and KD don't come to the Knicks. I don't give a shit that they went to Brooklyn. That's not New York. It's a disappointment that the Islanders didn't get Panarin. And as a Ranger fan, we were excited about Panarin. But at the same time, it's not like we were surprised Panarin signed with New York, right? So there's there's a mindset in New York that it's like, well, of course all the big free agents are going to come to us. So... If there's a Connor McDavid in the world, if he ever reaches free agency, it's not out of the realm of possibility the Rangers oh, stop. would sign, wouldn't sign him. Stop. So I, no, but this <laughs> that is a very long assholery way to say we cherish our children even more because when we get to build our own superstar, it's that much more fun. Well, and it's you hear it all the time. You heard it this year with Pete Alonso. You heard it. You've heard it over the years with Degrom. You. It's why Jeter's a god. It's you've it's got you've gone too far god. without saying Glaber Torres. You've gone too far because he's not home. I don't think Glaber's homegrown because he's from. He's the not Cubs. homegrown. 
Yeah. He was 18 homegrown when he is, got traded. Home, I don't know. Homegrown is you signed him, you drafted him, right? He entered the professional ranks with your team. Glaber, as good as he is, I don't consider him homegrown. I don't know any Yankee fans that consider him homegrown. I would consider but Judge? Him, well, Judge. Judge is homegrown. Judge is homegrown. Yeah, for sure. Go crazy about Judge. Um, and, and they do, it, rightfully so. But you, it's when Panarin scored his first, first goal with the Rangers, the, the garden went nuts. But it was seven octaves higher when Kako scored his first goal, not just because he's a, he's a god among men. But it's it just – it's so fun that as a Ranger fan, we have our own homegrown talent. It's probably why we care so much about Hito and Anderson to this day. And we're going to talk a lot about Anderson coming up. It's why we care so much about Kravtsov. It's it's why Hank. it's why we will go to the mattresses for Henrik Lundqvist and even beat the shit out of some of Can our. Can you own talk about the phrase? Can you expand on the phrase "go to the mattresses"? I can't. I just know it's a way of saying like "go to war," and it's something my dad would appreciate. Well, go to the mattresses with Henrik Lundqvist has a, a different connotation, I believe. Just throwing it out oh, there. Oh, I would go to every match. And that's, that was care. sort of my point. Yep. Uh, but I do believe the old godfathery definition or e- example of going to the mattresses is uh, when you're at war with an opposing family, you can't go back to your own home. So you go to safe houses where it's just mattresses set up and that's where you stay. Got it. And that's when it. you go to the mattresses, it, you're at war with another family. Makes sense. Yes. So wait, uh, I, if that's I, I not have... what if that now, Ryan, if that's not what it means, I don't give a fuck. It's my podcast. I get to decide. Oh, the athletic. Um, let's. I actually want to know more about what you're saying here because you, you're, you, you going to the match? No, you, explain it to you. No, you came out of this being like, I'm gonna sound like an asshole here, and you yeah. you don't sound like one. So I'm curious well, as to the, what your point well, of being an asshole was. Well, the sounding like an asshole is is coming off because imagine if you're a say Calgary Flames fan. Right. Yeah. And you, you, Johnny for Hockey. some reason, tune into this podcast and you have to listen to a guy going like, I expect to get Artemi Panarin in free agency. That I would imagine would sound like an asshole thing to say or no, a pompous thing to say. I, I think that's just true. I mean, people know no, that. But even that sounds, it, uh, maybe it's just like we live in apology culture. So I feel like if I, if I'm saying anything that kind of sort of sounds like a douchebag comment, I try and get ahead of it before someone can clip it and be like, look at how Greg Kaplan is a douchebag. I got 27 reasons why I'm a yeah, douchebag. That is not if one of them. You can go through our entire history of all our episodes. You can quickly find ways to call Greg uh, angry words. But my, oh, but yeah. my point is here, like, if we're, you're in a big market, you're in New York City or you're L.A., you're more likely right. to get stars. That's just the way it is. Not L.A. so much in hockey, but in every other sport. Like, you're, you're, the Dodgers are more likely to get stars. The Yankees are more likely to get stars. It's just going to happen that way. You're right, a, but you're it's, it's one of the, you're in the main city. I guess, I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is when you're say the Florida Panthers mm-hmm. and you're, you hope to get Panarin, but you don't. So really the only way you get to build stars is through your own scouting and drafting. And of course you love the Uber Doe's and the Ekblad's and the, all those guys and they're great hockey players, but it's, it's almost like, as a New York hockey fan or a New York sports fan, when it's easy to import stars mm-hmm. across the league, you appreciate even more when your team finally builds its own. This conversation is going a totally different way now because in my brain, I think about the Florida Panthers or teams like like them, and I say to myself, well, the way you actually win a cup these days is you 
don't sign free agents. You have this homegrown talent. I mean, look at the Penguins. Look at the Capitals, the Blues, like these, the, the Blackhawks. Like those guys grew their homegrown talent and they won cups. You can look at it in other examples too. The Cubs, the Astros, like these teams had these young players. They groomed. They put these supplementary pieces around them and they won. And that was it. I don't think any of those teams, and I'm going to be yelled at, but had like big time free agent signings that led them to the promised land. It was all the kids that all did it. And that's why Kako brings, to bring it full circle, that's why he brings so much hope. Because I saw, we're going to have Sean Tierney on uh, today to talk about some of his charts from hockey, charting hockey. Um, nice little plug there. But I saw uh, uh, we we're, the Rangers are in the bad, or like the quite bad quadrant of his charts. And if we get another top 10 pick, get one of these three can't-miss guys, have Kako Mika and a bunch of other of our, uh, I mean, let's say Keandre Miller hits to the potential I believe he will, like, we're ready to roll, man. Like, we're going. So I see what you're saying, but the way you win championships in any sports league now, for the most part, isn't by signing the big free agent. It's by developing your own talent. Uh, I I agree and I don't. Because even, even the Astros isn't the greatest of example. You you build the championship caliber team by having a good foundation. Yeah. But the Astros don't win a World Series without Verlander. Or Cole, probably. They're not going to win a World Series this year without Garrett Cole. Those are guys they added. The Cubs traded for Anthony Rizzo. And John they Lester. They signed John Lester. Okay. They're, they're, it's... Yeah, the, all those teams have foundations that it's are a built combination from within, move. right? Right, but the, the yeah. core is the young superstars. That's really... Right, and as a, as, as a Ranger fan, it has been... Even when the Rangers' young, quote-unquote, young cores were homegrown, the Stepons, the Criders, the McDonough's, none of them had the star potential that Capococco has. And it, the entire fan base realizes it and notices it. That's the, that's why you've become so popular on Twitter, because Definitely. fans will eat that shit up. Praise me. It's why the Praise church me, is so baby. popular. It's, it's, it's why Finland is buying into their young star, because this is – the ushering in of a golden generation of young Finnish talent. So it's, it's, I guess my, my, my point was just, it's, it's different when he's your own and you can claim him from day one and the Rangers. We, I remember us being excited about Kreider, but I want to call it. I would, I wanted to, the hype was never where it is now. I just remember being like, that's a very good prospect that I think is going to have an NHL career. Thought the same thing about Stepan. McDonough exceeded expectations, but even I think we would all stop short of McDonough was something better than better than very good, but not quite a star. I wouldn't. Right? I would never say that McDonough was. I hate to use this word, elite. He's very good. He's a top pairing defenseman in his prime. He was one of the twenty best defensemen in the league. Hard to argue. He was never. He was never top five. No. Right. No. Never. Kako could be a top ten player. Like that's not out of contention here. No. I, and I would be shocked if he wasn't one of the 10 best wingers in the NHL within the next five years. Me too, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think uh, it'll be very high, regard- hardly regarded and be up there. Uh, we got off a tangent here. Let's, let's finish the good here. There's only one other good thing about this game, right? And that is Henrik Lundqvist. Continues to He's be... pretty good still, huh? I don't really get it. Uh, how he is performing at such a high level at the age he's at. 37, looks spry as a chicken. Uh, it's, it's not that hard when you only play once a week. <laughs> like if the if the Rangers wanted to keep Henrik Lundqvist on a once a week start regimen, I would expect these kind of performances for him on a regular basis. You know, we were talking about this with Mark Stahl for years. 
where we were like, well, if you start Mark Stahl like once or twice a game or Girardi too, um, where, you know, once or twice a week and if there's like four games, like, you know, sit him down, get him some rest. And I've noticed like Mark Stahl hasn't been that bad for me. Like I I thought he's been actually pretty suitable and above average for Mark Stahl. And that's he because wasn't great. he wasn't great against the Oilers. I thought he was good. I, I, no, I, the times the Rangers got early on in the game, the time the Rangers had a lot of trouble getting the puck out of their zone, you, you can set your watch to it. It was D'Angelo Stahl on the ice, unable to regain possession of the puck. And then when they did have possession of the puck, if Stahl had it, he didn't know how to get it out of the zone. I want to be very clear about the uh, expression, I thought he was good. I, I What I mean by that exactly is, I think he's above average for Mark Stahl. He wasn't, he wasn't even that. I thought it was just, I thought it was just typical Stahl. I thought he, it was sol- he has a, a solid defensive performance until the breakdown in the third. That's where I went. No, I thought he was bad before the third, if I'm being quite honest. We're here to disagree. He, it's what we do. Yeah, he he wasn't he wasn't great. It's but here's the thing about Stahl. It's just we're at a point with him now where I understand everyone's frustrations. I understand that the Rangers would be a better team if they still had, say, Shattenkirk playing his offhand and didn't have Mark Stahl on the ice. Here's the thing. And it's got to be exhausting. We all understand the Rangers could be playing literally anyone, and he could be making a better, more noticeable impact on the ice than Mark Stahl. But it's not going to happen. The Rangers, for whatever reason, value Mark Stahl's leadership, and they value his contribution to this team, both on the bench and in the locker room. And they value it so much that they're going to play him 82 games a year. It's got to be exhausting suggesting every day on Twitter that the Rangers do something different. It's it's one of those things where it's just like, if your fourth starter on a daily basis is J.A. Happ and you sign him to a three-year deal and there's just fucking nothing you can do about it, I understand bitching about it every fifth day, but at the same time, just accept that it's going to happen. Find something else. Look at something else on this team and analyze that. It's just like, we know what Mark Stahl is doing. The numbers haven't changed in three years. It is what it is with Mark Stahl. Stahl will be we all there. know the Rangers could be better without him. But it's just like going through the process of showing again and again and again how Mark Stahl just isn't that good has got to be tiresome. Like, who are you proving a point to at this point? Either everyone agrees with you or everyone doesn't agree with you. We have no point to prove on Mark Stahl anymore. No one's. Really, it is what it is. The most argument you're going to get on Mark Stahl is, I thought he was pretty good this game. No, I thought he was pretty bad. That's the only argument you could have about Mark Stahl these days, right? I right, think. I think. Other than that, there's nothing. No, but like God love Rob Luker is great. He 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 looks at the game in a way that helps me better understand what's happening. But I honestly want. I like. I want to just sit down and have a drink with Rob one day and just be like, dude, you gotta be tired of putting out these Mark Stahl numbers that we all know that we all have always known and asking the Rangers to do something different. They're not going to, it's just not going to fucking happen. He's going to be in the lineup 82 games a year. He's going to get top penalty kill minutes. He's going to play North of 17 minutes a night and screaming into the void, hoping that somehow David Quinn is going to appear on Twitter and see these numbers and, all of a sudden, change his mm, mind. It's just Rob not going right. to happen. Rob is right. I it's shouldn't not, play. Mark it's not going to happen. But like, it's just, it's. It, we're at a point now where it, it, it's like, it's like trying to come up with. It's the exact opposite of trying to come up with a new number that suggests Connor McDavid is great. We all know Connor McDavid is great. 
I don't need anyone to tell me on a daily basis how great Connor McDavid is. I just think we need to start looking at different pieces of this team that we're not 100% certain about and start analyzing that and start trying to better understand that. We just, it's like, it's like the great line from the American classic movie, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, it's over. Find a new show. Find a new slant. That's what we need to do. Okay. Uh, That's what we need to do. One other, I wasn't expecting to go on that rant today, here, but here we are. Here we are. I like the, but here we are. At the end of the day, Gregory, let's talk about the rest of the bad. We have the... There's a lot of bad in the in the, in the, in the game. I gotta be honest. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I start somewhere that's gonna catch you a little bit off guard? No, because I'm gonna start you first. Uh, my favorite thing about the game was Chris Kreider doing his best 2014 Kings impression. Just totally nailing the crossbar and missing his opportunity. The flashbacks came quick and fast for me, and I was sad for the rest of the game. Until Kako scored, then I was truly happy. Now go ahead, Greg. I'm actually, I'm actually happy you brought up Chris Kreider, because that's where I was going. Oh, okay. At what point... Do we have to take a hard look and say Chris Kreider's not playing well? Right now? Uh, I think actually the real point is Friday night uh, where we'll be together and uh, full of some alcoholic beverages with a bunch of good friends. And if Chris Kreider hasn't picked up his game, he's been really lackluster. And I think that's being nice to Chris for these first three I think games. That's, I, think that's being, I think that's being incredibly nice. We all got distracted by the shiny object in the center that seemed to be sticking out like a sore thumb, which was Ryan Strom. And I think the criticism there was fair. We've, we've talked about it. We're about to talk about it some more because I know, once again, we're going to rehash Strom versus Anderson for about the 16th time in the last two weeks, which is hard to do. But we're going to do it again because that's what we're here to do. However, the only thing really working on that second line right now is Kapokako. Kreider hasn't been very good. You could blame some of that on him having to play with Ryan Strom, but at the end of the day, you just have to look at the fact that Chris Kreider himself been pretty bad. And I think we're going to have Sean on the podcast later by Sean's numbers. Chris Kreider's graded out as the worst Rangers forward so far this season. Thing is, I, I like to, when I do my analysis of games, I like to take plays that I've noticed. So, like, Kako has had multiple plays. Artemi has had, like, I don't know, 11 or 12 different plays. I'll mark them down in a little notebook and say, okay, how many plays did I really notice this player on, on TV? Chris Kreider has two in the in the three games. And that's one rush to the net he had and then his Kings-like uh, miss against the Oilers. Other than that, I haven't really noticed a lot of Chris Kreider. Not a, not a lot of forecheck. I'm happy that he's not getting the penalties he's used to getting. Um, but I don't really see the physical play from him. And I'm, I'm curious as to what's up. If this is the low point of Chris Kreider and soon he's going to turn it on or what's ha- or he's just in his own head that he knows he's going to get traded because he absolutely is. But he's definitely not, hurt, uh, not helping his value currently. So I'm curious as to see what happens with him over these next, well, two games that we have later this week. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. As good as the top power play unit has looked, and it's even against the Oilers, it still looked phenomenal. I... Teams cannot take penalties against the New York Rangers. We have officially retired the decline the penalty jokes with this power play unit. It is breathtaking to watch, and you're almost left disappointed when they don't actually score a goal, which is unfair to them. It's just that's how freaking good it is. Um, but even then, Kreider is the least noticeable part of the Rangers' power play, top power play unit. I feel like I'm... I feel like I know where Truba, Panarin, Zibanejad, and Buchnevich are at all times. And even in my head, I know Chris Kreider's in front of the net. It just it seems like he doesn't have a whole lot to do 
on the top power play unit, and that role could be filled by literally anyone on the team. Uh, yeah, he's uh, – there is no reason for Kreider and Kako not to be a dynamic winger duo. They seem – we've seen the tapes from practice. They play well together there. Kreider just hasn't been that good. And it's not, it's not like Kreider is – immune to periods in his range of career where he just goes completely unnoticed and disappears. Usually there's an injury tied to it. I know he picked up a bit of an injury against the Oilers. Quinn says it's not that serious and he expects to play on Thursday, but an injury at any point of the year is still an injury. But even before, if we're being honest, even before the Oiler game, he had a couple nice rushes with Kako early on opening night. The entire second line was invisible against the Senators, which we would agree is probably the most complete game. I mean, again, the Rangers played three fucking games. I can't believe exactly I hard. can't believe how much like analysis we have to do on these three games. Whereas right. like we're mic- we're mic- we're micro managing everything at this point. Whereas the Devils have played six thing. games today. I think they have like two more games this week. I'm just yeah. jealous, is all. Yeah. It's Patrick Line had four, uh, eight points in four games <laughs> last week. Great. And the Rangers haven't the Rangers haven't even played four games yet this season. It's 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 tough. We're evaluating a guy in, on three games in any other normal sample size. Three games is not enough for us to get a read on anything. Yeah, in, and if in Chris, February, if Chris Kreider had this stretch of games, we'd be like, yeah, whatever. If Chris Kreider <laughs> had two weeks worth of games in December, and that like that a normal stretch of games, six games, and he just had two weeks where he was off, we'd be like, yeah, maybe the Rangers have to do something different there, or maybe just Kreider's a little tired. Blah 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 blah. It's just we don't have anything to really go off here, so we just. What we see is what we get. And right now, what we're seeing with Chris Kreider is straight up not good enough. No, it truly is. I know the top line. We all know the top line. The Rangers will be as successful as the top line allows them to be, right? If the top line has a bad night, the Rangers are going to struggle. At the same time, there's really no excuse for Kreider when playing with Capocaco to be struggling this much. And it is – it's it's concerning. It It's honestly – as, as much shit as we like to give Kevin Hayes now, if there's one thing you have to give Kevin Hayes credit for, that dude played for his contract last year. Oh, he absolutely. Earned, he got he got overpaid, but he went out there and produced immediately. And Chris Kreider is not getting that impending free agent boost that we see most people get. Not doing, It just hasn't happened Not yet. doing himself a service, but... Uh... I believe we talked about this on our athletic exclusive episode where you can go to sign up for the athletic right now at theathletic.com slash BSB, get 40% off and a week free on us. Thank you so much. But we spoke, I think briefly about how the chances that Howden would go up to the second line was higher than 50% uh, with David Quinn's favoritism of him. And that's exactly what happened in the Oilers game. You said that Ryan Strom had a pretty good game and, or like above average for what Strom's provided in these three games. I, th- I think, I think Strom, Strom did everything you could have asked Strom to do. Right. Okay. And was, was that, is but, that enough to remain second line center? No, but I just, I don't think it's fair to say Strom had a bad game. I think Strom, again, I just think he did everything you would expect that caliber of player to do. Yeah, that's exactly pretty much what I want from Strom. But Howden, like I said, and and Rick Carpell came on this podcast and said they love Howden's motor. He just never stops going. And I can see that. But I knew he was going to be brought up to the second line, and he absolutely was later in the game. I'm not sure he made a difference, but I'm sort of expecting Howden to get a second line chance this Thursday against the Devils. I really am. 
I know that sounds crazy. Talking, talking, talking about this in the bad news segment would lend to you to suggest you don't want it to happen. I don't because I want other I, – I think Stroman deserves – and I know this is going to sound crazy because everyone's out there kind of ragging on Strom these past two weeks. I think Strom deserves two more games to get it right, Thursday and Friday. That's always been my timeline. Those are his put-up-or-shut-up games. If that doesn't happen, that's when we move either Leas or Howden up to the second line. Or Heedle, who's doing very well in the AHL, according to our dear friend Sean Taggart, who runs a little podcast about the Hartford now. I think it's Hanging with the Pack. Nice plug for Sean there. Um, but you can – I think Heedle will be up after that. I really do. I think Heedle will be up sooner than later. I have no problem with doing some reconfiguring. I, I Again, it's been three games, but it's been split up over two weeks. So if you want to reconfigure now, sure. You've had plenty of time to see him in practice and see him elsewhere. I don't mind that Howden's going up to – here's the thing. And let's just have the Leah Anderson conversation now. Because at, at some point, the whole Leah Anderson conversation revolves around one thing. And that one thing is – Six minutes of five-on-five even strength ice time is not enough for Elias Anderson. I I don't know who you want to cut minutes from. Strom is the obvious one because it just doesn't seem like he has a long-term future in New York. My conspiracy theory of them playing Strom high minutes to get his value up is still available, by the way. That's fine. He can play play wing on the third line and still get a good chunk of minutes. And same, same thing would be happening. If you want to give Howden second line center minutes, go for it. Because at some point, you need to see what Howden can do in a high leverage situation. Leah Sanderson, for what he's been asked to do, has been good. Sean Tierney, again, going to come on this podcast in a couple minutes and tell us that Leah Sanderson has graded out as the best Ranger forward to begin the season. He hasn't been asked to do much. And in that time, he's done very well. And in, in a way, if the, if, if there was more than five and a half minutes a night for that role, I would say allow Leas Anderson to continue to do that on the on the fourth, third or fourth line. You want to give him 10 minutes a night and you want him to be really good 10 minutes a night, go for it. You will not hear me complain. It's just there are a lot of things that David Quinn has done well. One of them, I would say, is understanding that Philip Heedle either needs to play Big minutes in New York or big minutes in Hartford. He doesn't benefit from playing an extremely limited role in New York. That's not what you want him doing. Exactly. And what yet, I don't under what I what I don't understand is why Leas Anderson doesn't play by the same rules. They're the they're the same age. The same Leas draft just class. turned twenty one. Yep. It's the same draft class. You invested more draft capital in Leas Anderson. You need to if you play the kids by the same rules. If it's not good enough for Filipino, it shouldn't be good enough for Leas Anderson. And yet, Howden plays by entirely different rules. Like, and it, but I, honestly, 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 dude, it's I'm fine with how Brett Howden has been deployed this year. Go for it. Give Brett Howden a shitload of minutes early. Let him sink or swim. So far, Brett Howden hasn't necessarily been a detriment to the Rangers lineup. Not in that he negative. hasn't been. He hasn't been better than Leas Anderson, but he hasn't been a train wreck. He's probably been the Rangers' third-best center to start this season. And so he's playing third-line minute rolls. You want to give him a little more time in the second line? Go for it. It doesn't bother me. I I don't want to come off as, a, like, attacking Brett Howden. He's a kid, too. He's doing every The way David Quinn is handling Brett Howden is how I want David Quinn to handle 
all the young centers. And I understand that you cannot do this with every young center on the Rangers. If you had all four centers being Mika, Howden, Leas, and Heedle, it is impossible to give those four guys even ice time. And you shouldn't be doing it. But that's part of the reason why they sent Philip Heedle down to Hartford. I don't understand why they're allowing Leas Anderson to play by different rules. And then when Leas Anderson does succeed, and he has succeeded so far this year, he has been good. He's done everything you could have possibly asked him to do in the limited amount of ice time you're willing to give him. If he continues to play like that and he's not getting run, I don't know what we're doing here. I just I'd rather Anderson play on a second line in Hartford with Kraftsoff than play on a fourth line even when he's playing well with Brandon Smith. It doesn't make sense. If that's if if you want to use your fourth line like an old traditional fourth line and you want to give McKeg Smith and your fourth line center just seven and a half, eight minutes a night, and you want him there to eat some time in the first and second period, and then you don't want to play him much in the third period. Bring up Boo. Boo can do it. Boo is a quality NHL's player. He's never going to be a star. He's never going to be more than a little bit better than replacement level. Let him eat those eight and a half minutes a night. You're not stunting his growth. You're not holding him back. I just don't understand for the life of me why the Rangers are willing to use Leas Anderson in a way that they explicitly said they were unwilling to do with Filipino. It doesn't make sense. Let's talk, let's talk more about that with Sean Tierney, but for right now, we have to get to our five-star questions before we get to Sean. We have a couple this week. So here's a five-star question from, this is from FDBNMFD, I think. Did the Rangers get enough for Nemestikov? I am always worth more than the Rangers in a fourth. Yeah, we, I think we answered this one last week. That's my bad. Uh, yes, I, I, I think he's worth more than a fourth, but they wanted to get him off the contract now to be, have flexibility for the season. This is Yeah, for, the, the cap space to the Rangers was worth more than a fourth. This is from Jurg6, J-U-R-G-6. Hey, guys, love the show. Just wanted to take uh, to get your take on our fan base freaking out about every little decision the organization makes. All I've heard since the letter was dropped was how last season and this season don't matter to standings-wise. So other than boredom, why are people freaking out about the 2C role? Defensive pairings, Quinn's decisions, and when the season was just about it to be improving in all areas, but a, a slow but steady pace. This is actually a great question. Because... We're fans is the answer, right? Because we like to analyze and we like to play uh, armchair GM. We like to care about the team. And that's why we freak out. But overall, at the end of the day, this season is about just improvement. It's not about if we make the playoffs or not. Would I like some of the this team to make the playoffs? I think it would be fun. I think we'd get pretty much waxed in the first round. But I think it would be super fun to watch Kako in the playoffs. And I would thoroughly enjoy it. But I would really enjoy a top three pick that would be locked and loaded for the next 10 to 15 years. So that's exactly what I want. And I'm I, I, I'm fine with people freaking out. There are some things we shouldn't freak out that much about. But we do anyway because we love the team. To be fair, I, I, think, I think the defensive pairings are as good as they're going to get, right? Outside of the, again, the why is Mark Stahl playing question. I, it, it's hard to imagine the Rangers handling the defensive pairings better. I, I think Hayek and Truba have been solid. I think Shea and Fox have been solid. I think it's smart to break up the kids and let them play with more established veterans. Stalled D'Angelo, that's what you're going to get. It is what it is. I, I really do think, I, I mean, I from where I sit, Ryan, outside of the debate about who should be playing between 
Kako and Kreider, why Elias isn't getting enough ice time, and the nonsense happening in Hartford um, with people reacting to how Kravtsov is being used. Outside of that, I think everyone it, again. It's just been three games. I haven't seen a whole lot for people to complain about. It hasn't been too much. Uh, this next one is from uh, I can't even say this. It's JDB. D-N-S-N-D. How do you pronounce that? I don't know. Jibbidisinan. Uh, Lord and Savior Kapokako. Praise me! Great podcast. It's well-deserved for you to be part of The Athletic. I know. Thanks Damn so, right. Thanks so much. Uh, definitely the number one Rangers podcast. Better than those other guys. And he puts in parentheses. Looking at you, Joe and Mike. That's just wrong. Joe and Mike are our dear friends. And Joe is the... Yeah, but Joe, Joe's, not, Joe's sending out his podcast. Joe's tonight. not even on Boucher's banter anymore. He's been on in weeks. Yeah, why isn't anyone freaking out about that scratch? We <laughs> freak out about Kravtsov getting scratched once. Joe sitting out from his own podcast. So everyone's like... Eh, Takes fine. a couple weeks off to hang out with the kids and the family. And everyone's just sitting there. I don't understand. Yeah, what the fuck is all that about? Uh, Kako, praise be, has been very noticeable in both games he's played thus far. But hasn't been able to generate much offense. Well, I think this was this was before the goal. Um, mm. What are your impressions of Kako? Praise be. I like how he does it every single time. So far, uh, since he's continued to be affected by the dead weight, Noah's Ryan Strom. We've kind of talked about that. Regardless of how well the first line is playing, I pretty much asked, do you think he'll ever move him up uh, to be there instead of Buchnevich in the first line? Um, we've talked about Kako a bit. I think one of the most impressive parts about his game in general, other than being an absolute deity and skating on the ice and walking a water and changing water into wine is the fact that his puck control is by far the, one of the most advanced I've ever seen in any player on the New York Rangers. As And I want to make this clear, he's 18 years old. So he has a lot of development to do. He already has the body of a man. He's 6'3". He's going to grow muscle. He's going to get bigger. He's going to be an absolute force for many, many years to come. And uh, so far, so good. I think he's been really impressive. I Rick said he's really, really impressive in practice. I have almost no complaints about Cabo Caco. As for when he could replace Buchnevich on the top line... Just don't see the reason for it yet. No, you got you got to figure you got to figure out so many other things on the team that I'm not like the one line that's working is the top line. So don't touch it. I, figure everything out before you get. There. I think Booch suits uh, Panarin and Mika very well. He does exactly what they need from him. He has good generational generational. He generates good passing. Um, he is not afraid to shoot the puck, but also is willing to give them the first shot. Right. So he he'll he's, defer he to spread, that. He spreads the ice. Exactly. He spreads the ice. Exactly. You have to worry about him in the corner for the three. Uh, this next question is from Roy Langers from Great Britain. Hey, guys. Congrats on joining The Athletic. Woo! Just got my subscription because of you. Yeah! Theathletic.com slash BSB. Quick question. Why are all the previews of the Metro so favorable towards the Devils? The Rangers are clear. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great question. The Rangers are clearly better, but Aaron is uh, is better than Hall. No disagreement there. So Bitterjad is better than Heischer. Again, no disagreement. And of course, our Lord and Savior is better than Jack Hughes. The most agreeable Rory, Rory has been. I just see a lot of other pods that journalists ha- have the Devils as a playoff team when they're about the same or if not worse than the Rangers, especially when you take goaltending in a situation. Why do you think this is? Keep up the good work, guys. <laughs> Also, hi, Sean. Oh, Sean Tierney. <laughs> no, not here yet. I mean, he popped in the chat. Anyway, to answer your question, okay, Ryan. Okay, keep going. And then we'll um, get to Sean. There, with the Devils, and this, the, again, this comes on the heels of them blowing yet another game. So a lot of what I'm about to say is contradicted by how they're actually playing so far. Going into the season, I think you had to say, while the Rangers had better high-end talent than the Devils, mm-hmm. the Devils had a much, significantly much higher floor. Like, where, where the Rangers have clear weaknesses, defensively for one, 
basically any scoring outside the top six for two. The Devils have a solid roster everywhere you look. There really wasn't a clear weakness on that team outside of maybe goaltending. But even then, we were expecting Corey Schneider to be playable. Same with Mackenzie Blackwood, who looked really good at, at times last year. So if 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 you wanna if you wanna answer the question of why were people willing to put the Devils into a playoff con- conversation quicker than the Rangers is because with the Rangers, there's a whole lot of variance that's going on there. With the Devils, we thought they were going to be competitive on a nightly basis. What they've been so far, so far? is a train wreck. And not so much. A train wreck, right? And, and Sean's here, so we're going to transition to him. But before we go, I just want to say that uh, it's almost a lock that Jack Hughes will score on Thursday and the, the Devils will win. Let's put it that way. Uh, if you want to hear more of us, we'll be doing a, a quick recap of the game on our athletic feed on Thursday night. Let's transition to our dear friend, Sean Tierney. Transition. Hey, we have our first and only guest of the week, our dear friend Sean Tierney of at Charting Hockey. His website launches this week. He's also director of analytics for the Bulldogs. Sean, say hello. Hi, how's it going, guys? It's going uh, pretty great. I don't know if you've heard, but the Rangers have played three games, so we're two guys that have a podcast on The Athletic about the Rangers who are overanalyzing three games of hockey, and we've brought you on, Sean, to talk small sample size. Yeah, well, I mean, of all the sample sizes, small is my favorite, so it should be fun. There's a lot to go over. I've seen a couple of your different charts, as of which you have many, on uh, on your charting hockey where you could follow Sean on Twitter. But one of the ones that stuck out to me the most is that had the Rangers in the bottom left corner corner that just said bad in big bold letters. Could you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So unfortunately, I have several uh, scatter plots right now where the New York Rangers logo plots right beside bad. Um, one that catches my eye is maybe a potentially significant uh, sign of where things might be going for the team is my uh, expected goal rate uh, scatter plot. And so in that scatter plot, we have the rate of expected goals that the Rangers are generating for themselves and then the rate of expected goals uh, that they're allowing against. And right now, the Rangers have the uh, really, truly unfortunate distinction of having the worst rate of expected goals against and the lowest rate of expected goals for. So they kind of own that bad quadrant right now where they're giving up a ton of quality against, generating almost no quality for uh, at even strength at five on five. And so, you know, early on, at least in these first three games, and we'll hashtag sample size alert over and over um, you know, they're just really hanging the goaltenders out to dry here, not giving themselves much of a chance to win. Um, I know there was, you know, some speculation about whether this team had accelerated the rebuild with some of the moves that they had made. But through the first three games, this looks like the kind of still in rebuild mode team that maybe we expected earlier on in the summer. And the the crazy thing about the the plot is it's jarring to see. And I think it it quickly gets a negative reaction from some Ranger fans. But then those same Ranger fans take a step back and realize this team isn't generating any scoring chances outside of the top line. The defense is still very much a question mark. And if your name, again, if your name isn't Zibanejad or Panarin, you're not really putting the puck in the net. So at the same time, it's been a very small sample size. Ranger fans may not like to hear that they've been very bad to start the season. They might not believe it because they're 2-1 and one to start the year. But... A lot of their offenses come from that top power play unit, which has been fantastic. It's just one of those things where we're all complaining about how this team isn't doing a lot of scoring. And then you see it in a data point and all of a sudden people get upset about it when they shouldn't be. 
Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, as a person who spent a lot of time, too much time on Twitter, and somebody who's put out a lot of charts that have that as one of the labels for a quadrant, um, I know what it, it, it can be a triggering experience in a way, um, you know, when you see this sort of terminology attached to your team. And then even if you know, uh, you know, with your own eyeballs, when you're watching the game, that this isn't what you were hoping for. And, you know, you saw some big names come in in the summer and you're expecting bigger, better things, a team that's kind of on the move in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, the, the results haven't been there underneath the hood so far. And it's really just kind of lucky that the record is what it is right now. Um, again, it, you know, three games, I think there's several teams that are probably looking at themselves right now thinking, is this what our summer was about? Is this the kind of team we're going to be? And there's only so much signal we can read after a couple of games. But yeah, all the all the returns, all the things that we would look at, the key indicators, suggest that this is a team that is very shallow still and is going to hang a really young goaltender and a really old goaltender completely out to dry. And in the course of a long season, you know, you can outperform that here and there. But that gets you once you get a sample size as big as 82 games. So it's a dangerous way to start. And, and hopefully they just sort of, you know, figure out a way to, to spread the offensive depth that they do have around the lineup a little bit more judiciously to try to kind of mitigate some of the uh, some of the damage that they're doing under the hood right now. What you're describing is watching the New York Rangers, which is laying your goalies out to dry. It's been an experience that we're very used to. And on one of other charts I saw, and I'm not a chart guy, so please uh excuse my lackadaisical language when talking about these, but you had in the very good quadrant a New York Rangers logo uh, referring to goaltending. I'm assuming that was a guy that was taking a lot of bad shots and performing well, and that was Henrik Lundqvist. Right. So um, my favorite, I think, of all the goalie charts that I put out, which, again, is quite a handful, um, is a chart that shows performance versus expectation. And so we get four quadrants. Um, basically we get one where, um, a team is giving up a lot of quality chances and the goaltender's results are bad. And so they kind of go hand in hand. That'd be something like Jonathan quick right now. He's been bad. LA has been bad in front of him in terms of preventing quality. And so his results match kind of that bad result that we would expect based on the workload. You can have easy work and get bad results. That's been Devin Dubnik's territory. It started last year and it's continued early this year where, the team in front of you really does a good job defensively, but you still find a way to give up goals. Uh, so, yeah, Dubnik's one that's there. Blackwood's been there, you know, in the early sample so far this year. We have easy work and good results. So that's when you get a strong defensive team, like a Boston Bruins type of team, and you get a goalie who still does their part. So uh, Halak is in there. Rask is always there. Carter Hart's there so far. as Philadelphia's kind of come out of the gate strong so far. And then the last quadrant, the one you're referring to, is really hard work, but good results. And that's when your team is giving up a ton of quality in front of you, but you're still managing to post good results beyond expectation. And it's lungs this and there's no one close. And and this isn't the first time that someone's come on a podcast and talked about how great King Henrik has been. You know, he's, he's not in an age where you can really expect that this is something he can keep doing, or this is something he can do for 45 or 50 games this year but he's doing his part right now. And, and there's no one even close. The next highest rated goalie after him is Corey Crawford, uh, maybe uh, Michael Hutchinson, Curtis McElhaney, like guys who don't have much sample going on really at all. And Lungfus is way, way beyond them. So I wouldn't want to ask a beautiful man his age to keep this kind of performance up over time. But right now he's bringing it again. Uh, it's just, it's just really funny because I, th- that chart just defines Henrik Lundqvist's entire career. And the funny thing is, 
Uh, the same thing as um, Alex Georgiev, who's only had one start, but of course it came against the Senators. It put him in the has done really well when you expect him to do really well part of the chart. It just it feels like a cheat code when you play your only game played is against the Senators, and that's where you end up. Because if you didn't end up there while playing against the Senators, we'd have a lot of questions about who you are and how much talent you actually have. The favorite charts you do, Sean, that always catch my attention are your defensive pairing ones. Because the last time we had you on this podcast, I remember we went on like a 15-minute just deep dive on Neil Pionk because the eye test Ryan and I were having with him wasn't matching up with the numbers that you were posting early in the season. And we quickly figured out that, oh, no, the numbers were right all along and Neil Pionk is exactly who we thought he was. Um, Mark Stahl just can't help himself with these defensive pairing numbers, can he? is really what it comes down to. No, and again, you're sort of looking at um, uh, the Rangers are a really interesting influx kind of team where um, they've made some moves that are really exciting. Like I think, you know, Truba and Panarin and, um, you know, Zabinijad had been around for a while, but he was somebody that they brought in a couple of years ago, and he's really sort of um, grown into the best-case scenario version of himself. You know, you got Kako hanging around too. There's some real legitimate buzz about where this team is going or, or could go. And all of that is really real. But at the same time, there's a few holdovers from that last Rangers group. Um, and they're still there and they're still holding down more role than they should be asked to do for different reasons. And I wouldn't ask Lungfist, who we touched on earlier, to keep trying to outperform his entire situation over the course of a season. It's just too much to do. And it really doesn't seem fair for all he's done for the franchise to really hang him out like this. And then Mark Stahl is, is one where the performance hasn't been there for a couple of seasons, and it, it's not coming back at this point. Um, he and D'Angelo is the only pairing that we have enough data on to say something you know at all definitive. We're looking at about uh, 29, 30 minutes together so far at even strength for the pairing. And they're in bad. They're in the bad quadrant. They're giving up uh about two and a half 2.6 expected goals against when they're out there and they're generating just over one expected goals for themselves so it's a really super negative differential over the course of a season that just kills you if you try to play hockey that way where you've got a pairing logging significant minutes that's just consistently getting trapped in their own end and even worse giving up quality while they're there so you know it's the kind of situation where where do you put a stall um, to try to minimize the damage that can be done. I'm not sure if the Rangers see him in that way, but they should. And I think, you know, D'Angelo has shown some positive aspects to his game that, you know, if you weren't tying him to an anchor, maybe there's more to be had out of him in the long run too. So um, it, it's it's going in the direction I think anybody would have predicted in the summer. And, and I don't see any reason for hope, even though we're just looking at a small sample so far. I guess my yeah. Oh, go on, Greg. Sorry. It's just depressing to hear over and over again because <laughs> even 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 though if I could defend Stall as much as I can and just tell people to stop worrying about Stall so much just because I don't know it gets boring to complain about the same guy over and over again. At the same time, there are no lies from what Sean's saying, and it, it hasn't been a lie for a long time. So it's just it's one of those things where you just at the end of the day you just have to sigh and I don't know try and get through the day some way somehow. Uh, Sean the. A player Ryan and I talked about before you joined us and a player that I, I, I personally thought stood out for all the wrong reasons, uh, Chris Kreider has been finding himself in the bad quadrant more than Ranger fans are accustomed to seeing. Is that something that you noticed as well? 
Yeah, he's a name that jumped off when I was updating the skater charts um, this morning. As a player who in the past has been one that's um, even, you know, when the Rangers haven't been a strong team overall, even looking back to last year where the results, you know, weren't great. Um, Kreider was always able to at least hang around in the middle of the pack team-wise and usually be one of the better teams, whether we're looking at shot differential or expected goals differential or whatever. And, you know, there was trade talk around Kreider through the summer with the moves that the team was trying to make and whether or not he was somebody who would be part of the long-term picture. And he really didn't seem like the kind of guy um, that you could afford to take out of a lineup that fancied itself a team on the rise. But, you know, again, hashtag small sample size. Kreider's been the worst Rangers, not just forward, the worst Rangers player by individual metrics so far. Um, you know, we can only get this kind of result with a small sample, but in the 33 minutes we have of him at even strength, he's under a goal, uh, under an expected goal four per 60. He's at 0.97, and he's allowing 5.4 expected goals against per 60. So it's just completely unsustainable to have numbers this wildly horrible um, once we get to a 10, 15 game sample where we start to feel a little bit more comfortable that numbers have stabilized. But it is really telling for Kreider that, you know, the numbers are bad, um, but they're the worst on the team. And I think that's an interesting problem to have. Um, for me, knowing that this player isn't an old player, isn't likely to be cratering at his age, knowing his history, my first question would be, who's he playing with? And is this line putting him in a situation where he feels like he's got to do a lot on his own? He feels like he needs to dump the puck in just to relieve the pressure. Is he getting stranded in bad situations and therefore not doing the things that make him Chris Kreider? Um, because this isn't a player whose track record seemed like a red flag. He was the opposite. He looked like the kind of player that the Rangers still should be leaning on going into this year. So um, his numbers are team worst right now in from an expected goals perspective. And I just really wonder if maybe the situation is asking something from him that he isn't able to provide, or, you know, maybe it's just that we're getting a fluky result with a small sample, but it's definitely eye catching to see him in such a bad spot. Speaking of hashtag small sample size, the king of small sample size in the Rangers right now is Leas Anderson. What can you tell me about him? Right. So, King of small sample, we've got about 20 even strength minutes for him so far, and he's the anti-Crider at the moment. We've got him as New York's most positively impactful player when he's been out there, on ice for about 2.9 expected goals for, on ice for about 1.1 expected goals against, super positive differential in his 20 minutes. So, you know, again, you, you said it, King of small sample, but the very early results are promising. He hasn't been, you know, drowned uh, with his opportunity yet. And so for me, um, when you see someone who's showing promising numbers through a small handful of games, you say, let's run this guy. Let's see what we have. This is a player with pedigree, a, a prospect that was supposed to be part of the solution for this team. And the early results are really positive. So I want to, you know, be getting him over the boards as much as I could, put him in good situations, give him some power play time see what you've got while the player seems to be handling the minutes well, because everything we have right now is super positive for him. That's just not happening. As you, in case yeah, some people, some people, it's, it's amazing to me that look, I love Rick Carpinello like an uncle, that guy is family to me, but it's just funny to hear people say Anderson doesn't look like he's producing by the eye test and just have it be refuted. So vigorously by any metric that is out there and available. Again, small sample. Yeah, and, and it, right. And all that I would say is the the beautiful thing sometimes 
you know, sitting in my armchair quarterback position with this is I try to watch plenty of every team along the way so that whenever I'm talking about a player, I'm not going in blind uh, and, and, you know, just sort of not uh, paying respect to what you see when you see a player too, just so you can kind of call out situations where numbers look great, but the player looks horrible or, or whatever. But in this case, you know, uh, Anderson is by far the Rangers most positive player in a small sample and he was a guy who had all sorts of buzz as he was coming up through the system as a prospect so you know it's enough to know this is a skilled offensive player the results look good I would at least want to give the player an opportunity to build a sample size so then I could say definitively yeah he is holding up over time or no he isn't but the early signs super positive so you know I would love to see this player get more and more time on ice he's lagging behind a lot of his teammates but that shouldn't be the case not the way the team's going i guess i have one or maybe this is my final but it's maybe my most important there's been a lot of talk about this team called the new jersey devils they happen to be a rival of the uh, new york rangers if you don't know that already and uh, they're off to a very hot start of pretty much never winning a hockey game what we're playing them on thursday what can we expect uh, you might expect a team that has a brand new head coach at this point. I, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, you know, the, the Devils are maybe um, one of the most interesting teams coming in off the offseason because of all the work that they did to reshape portions of their roster from Gusev coming in and Jack Hughes being, you know, this uh, potential savior up front. Every points projection from a fantasy book you could have picked up over the the summer had him coming in and immediate, immediately establishing himself. The Subban trade, you know, I'm a big fan of P.K. Subban, you know, beyond just the on-ice results, just as the kind of player who brings a lot of entertainment value to hockey, which can be lacking. And so you know, the Devils came in as a super buzzy team, and they've just completely fallen flat on their faces to start the year. Um, and, and it's been kind of, um, it's been a sad way to come about it, too. They've looked like they would have, uh, they would love to give away a lead if they could get one. They look like they just don't have a sense of how to get the best out of their offensive players right now. And so, you know, you start to ask some of the questions that were true in the summer, like, do you think a team that's relying on the withered husk of Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood to be a team in the playoff mix? I would say that that's an obvious Achilles heel for this team, that they're asking a lot of an unproven goalie and asking a lot of a goalie who's probably going to, um, you know, injure his way out of his NHL career at this point, unfortunately. Um, and, and they have some good offensive pieces, but it's not a roster that goes deep, deep, deep on offensive options. And you can kind of get past that first wave of attack. And then you're not looking at a lot of household names as scoring options. So, you know, they've been exposed badly. Um, I do daily game predictions and do probabilities for who will win. And New Jersey's just been absolutely thrashing me so far. They're an automatic favorite and then an automatic loss for me in this regard so far um I, I think that if they keep going down this path it's not going to be long for our Heinz and, and there's going to be a, a pressure to change the coach and pressure to look deep on the system uh to make changes and you know going into a Taylor Hall conversation about a new contract there this is not the way that you convince a star player to be interested in the way your program's trending so basically a nightmare start for this team so far and a pretty welcome opponent for another team that hasn't had a hot start, I would say. So they're going to yeah, win against the Rangers, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, I bet I bet good money that they beat the Rangers on Thursday. I'm going to bet good money that they're going to beat the Rangers he on Thursday. Would. But uh, the, fun, the funny thing is, the, the Devils wouldn't be the first team in any professional sport that 
struggles when they bring in basically 50% of a new roster, right? You can go back to even the LeBron, like the first year of LeBron in Miami. I remember they got off to a pretty slow start considering I think they were like nine and eight at one point to start the season. That's correct. The thing that's concerning about the Devils, this is a team that had a four nothing lead on the Jets and lost. They had a four to one lead on the Panthers today and lost. It's getting the lead by more than three goals in the NHL. I don't I don't care how bad of a problem your goaltending is, unless it's Jonathan Quick in net, you should be able to hold on to the lead. And yet we're six games into the year. The Devils don't have a win. And it, I don't, I don't know how you write the ship. See, I, Greg, I get that again. Six, six games, smallest of small sample size. Greg, this right? is why Wall you don't agree. trade our friend Keith Kincaid. That's why. This is why you don't. Yeah, you exactly. don't. <laughs> Bring Keith back. Bring Keith back. <laughs> but yeah, and I guess I would just chime in. Um, you know, you're talking about these blown leads, and it kind of gives me two quick thoughts um, that I won't drone drone on and on about. One is that the rate of expected goals against that they're giving up is about 2.2, and that's right around league average. So it's not like they're hanging their goaltenders out to dry. They're just expecting league average performance, and they would have a couple of wins, but they're getting hung out to dry by their goaltending. That's my first thought. And and my second thought is, uh, and maybe this isn't why you bring a a stats guy on a podcast, but I think that there really is a human element that it can be easy to forget sometimes when you are looking from a bird's-eye view at numbers. But if you blow a bunch of leads in order – to start a season and then you got to go look at each other in a locker room knowing that you're not playing that badly defensively but you've blown these huge leads uh, just from a human element something's going to change and they can't trade all of this roster especially like you said with all the pieces that they've brought in you hope that the team is patient enough to say it's going to take some time for these guys to gel and maybe that's all it is but I think it becomes really difficult to go back into the locker room game after game blown lead after blown lead and look at each other and not feel like something's got to change. The easiest one's going to be the coach. So I think we're going to see, you know, Heinz will be on the hot seat here for a while until he strings together a couple of wins. And if he doesn't, um, I, I just don't know how he escapes if they keep blowing leads like this. This is triggering, triggering all my Mets PTSD all at once. Just talking <laughs> about late blown leads, going back into the clubhouse, having to face each other, a coach that's on the hot seat. We, we've checked every New York Mets box we possibly could have, and we're talking about the Devils. We're not even talking about the Rangers. Usually I find a way to bring it about, make it about the Mets when we're talking about the Rangers, but boy, oh boy, that, that entire rant was just like me going back and thinking about how the New York Mets lost 16 games this year where they had a win probability of 80% at some point in the game. And That's this is really hard to and do. And this is why we brought on Sean Tierney of Charting Hockey to talk <laughs> New York Mets baseball, everybody. <laughs> Very on brand for me. Thank you. You're so welcome. Um, Greg, any final questions for uh, Sean before we let him go? I guess I, the, the, the big pie in the sky question, uh, is there a team and is there a player on that team it, just exceeding your expectations to a point where even you take a step back and go, damn, I have to think twice about this now. Um, I think maybe the obvious choice is the Flyers so far. All the underlying numbers that um, I like to look at or that we like to look at for teams, um, even in the small sample, we like to look at expected goals rate. Uh, Philadelphia has been just exceptional so far. They've got a plus 1.2 differential. They've got the best rate our second best rate of expected goals for going, but they've been extremely defensively stingy so far too. Um, Carter Hart's been good. Um, and so, you know, they're a team that I'm just very interested in because I was not high on them when I did my preseason predictions 
Uh, for point totals, I had them coming in 10th or 9th in the East, just sort of not really threatening the playoff bubble, but just hanging around it. Uh, and that's just not the team that's come out of the gate so far. And especially because they had the overseas trip um, and then have, you know, not missed a beat coming back. I think it just is very interesting. And a team that gets on a roll early in the year, sometimes that's, you know, you bank all those wins while it's hot. And even if you didn't expect them, you bank them and that can go a long way. It can also go the Buffalo Savers route where you can go on a long winning streak and it doesn't actually get you anywhere in the end anyway. But uh, they're a team that catches my eye. It's just They've been phenomenal so far and I wasn't expecting that at all. So I'm interested to see if they can keep this up or if it's just a weird blip on the radar in the small sample size. It's called the Elaine Vigneault Yeah, Elaine <laughs> Vigneault will have something to say before the end of the season if I had uh, if I had to make a guess. Yes, in harmony there, Gregory. Sean, thanks so much for coming on. Why don't you plug what you do? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you shared it at the beginning. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. And the thing I'm most excited about right now is um, I'm taking all the Tableau viz that I do and I'm moving them to a proper website, which should be launched within the week. I'll have all sorts of different tools there uh, for sort of daily game probabilities and all sorts of stuff. And so uh, I'm hoping people will come check out the site and find me on Twitter and uh, use my charts to help win fights online. So, uh, yeah, come find me online and... Uh, you know, happy to take questions and help people out as they're trying to learn this stuff. You heard Sean Tierney fight him online. All right, Sean, talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, bye-bye. Transition. Hey, we're back. Sean Tierney, always an amazing guest. Seriously, if you're looking for any reason to fight online and have an analytic way to back that up, please follow Sean. He's amazing. All right. We're, we're, we're Sean, Sean, well, Sean and um, Michael McCurdy are the two that they simplify the advanced stats to a point where idiots like you and I <laughs> can way. understand them. Boosters break away, Drew Way. But but see, Drew Drew's great at Drew doesn't have his own statistics, right? That's but true. Drew's also great at explaining other people's statistics for us. But Micah Micah and Sean put them on charts that are easily digestible, and you don't need a physics degree to understand them. And it it makes dummies like you and I sound smart. And that's that's really all you could ask for at the end of the day. Also, hard, to make me sound smart. Also hard to do. Hard, hard, incredibly hard. To really do. tough. But but yes, what you were going to say before I so rudely interrupted you. Uh, yeah, no, Sean just triggered all my PTSD there, dude. Yeah, I'm like sure every really tough. every point he was saying about the Devils is like this is this is what I sat through, 162 games this year with the New York Mets, and this is my nightmare, and it's terrible because think about it, dude. It you could. That entire conversation we had with Sean about the goalies being snake bit, we had that Edwin Diaz conversation every day. Every day. You you did. You did. I want to be very clear for new listeners. I don't care about the Mets at all. I don't. I care about you, and, and I think it's really funny what you do and how much you care about the Mets, but the, my interests in baseball lie elsewhere. So we'll see. Yeah. That. Well, you you sign up to be my therapist now twice a week, and you're I, gonna get the. I've got this master's degree in psychology for no reason. Might as well use it. I am I am excited to do. I I don't know if the athletics even gonna let us do emergency podcasts anymore, but just know no emergency podcast. Oh, I got a lot of Met managerial takes. Just you ready mean, to go. You mean emergency podcasts for the Mets? No, Gregory, those are canceled. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll disguise them somehow. Run that. I'll line. use code words. Yeah, okay. I'll use code words. Sounds good. Um, we'll get back to those one day. That just might be somewhere else on a different feed. Uh, we mm. missed one five star review, which uh, I want to get to that we talked uh, off the air about, which is uh, from Ranger Gooner. It says, "Thanks as the." 
as ever for the superlative superlative oh my god superlative 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 g cracko okay um since since new york rangers is still on a european soccer nfl schedule wow nice shot there i was wondering if you guys would indulge me with a hypothetical what if in 2008 and i'm gonna butcher his name rest in peace alexi Cherepanov does not die of a heart attack on the ice what if he doesn't have this tragic condition and was able to play a full career He'd already broken records set at his at his age by level of uh by the level of Ovechkin and Malkin. Yager thought he would be a superstar. How different does the New York Rangers look over the past def- decade with a uh, stud first line winger? Or trades and signings that happen? Well, this is butterfly effect, right? Like he he goes on a little bit of what what maybe would have happened, but obviously I didn't uh, I wasn't paying the most close attention to the Rangers at that point in time. Uh, he was 17th overall pick at that point. The reason why he fell so far, due to from my research at least, was that was they were worried about his Russian out clause to go back to the KHL, or that he wouldn't come over in the first place. Uh, this is sort of a Len Bias situation, like the Celtics. It could have changed the entire history of the Rangers. You don't really know because it could have changed. Kapokaka could have not have been a Ranger. Henrik Lundqvist could have not been a Ranger. Like you know, all those things could have well, changed. Lundqvist, 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 was Lundqvist was already a Ranger. You're right. Sorry. Um, but here, let's let, let's play this game. I'm, I've pulled up the 2008-2009 New York Rangers roster, right? Oh, interesting. So these these are the guys that could have been playing with him. You have, if my computer uh, cooperates Cooperates. Uh, you have a young Artem Anisimov at 20 years old. He's just starting to make his debut. Uh, Nick Antropov, Ryan Callahan, Chris Drury, Brandon Dubinsky, Scott Ooh. Gomez. So this is pre- Ryan McDonough trade, um, twenty-six-year-old Peter Pruka. What if still hanging what around? What if we as well. just didn't trade Gomez for McDonough because we were off to a hot start? Well, that this is actually this is actually the big. I think that's the biggest what if, right? Do the Rangers make what seemed like a little bit of a rebuilding move by trading Scott Gomez for Chris Higgins, Ryan McDonough, and other pieces? if they have a kid like Sharapanov coming up through the system. And I don't know, it's a very good question. Uh, you go to the Rangers roster just the next season. Here's how much turnover the Rangers had 2009, 2010, when he probably would have been a little bit more established. You enter, do the Rangers still make the move for Marion Gabarik mm. as he's now on the roster? Um as the aforementioned Chris Gomez trade, it have Scott Gomez trade happens that off season. I I think it's it's interesting. I because at the same time, the Gomez trade was so good that you almost have to make it again. And if you make that trade again, you bring you get to bring in Marion Gabarik again. So you you'd possibly have Gabarik. And Cherapanov on the same line. You still have a second line that is Callahan and Dubinsky at the height of what they were for the Rangers. Anisimov, his second full season. People forget how good Anisimov was for the Rangers when he was a young. And there's Anisimov being as good as he was is the whole reason the Rangers are even able to make the Rick Nash trade. But do they make the Rick Nash trade? If you have two young Russians like Anisimov and Cherapanov on your roster? I I I think that's probably the deal you look at the most being like I don't know if that one happens anymore. 
I think that's probably the biggest butterfly effect move. And then if you if look as much shit as people like you like to give Rick Nash, if you don't have that type noted of Rick Nash hater rock, Ryan Meade. Yeah, it's it's always just so interesting. It like those what ifs are massive, um, and it they're hard and to a point unfair because what happened is what happened, and it's it's just something. Oh my God, Gabrick had eighty six points his first season with the Rangers. Imagine him having a winger on his side, as talented as he was. Gabrick, uh, Vinny uh, Prospel, Gabrick, Vinny Prospel, thirty four year old center Vinny Prospel was second on the Rangers that year with fifty eight points. What a weird. Weird time that is. Uh, Gabrick would go on to kick her ass in a Stanley Cup. So, um, I don't know, man. It, but it's it's. I think I think the things that happened in the 2008 offseason still happen if he's alive and well. But I I think where you start getting into the does X happen if the Rangers had the the young gun? It it I think you get to the Rick Nash deal and. I don't know if the Rangers feel like they have to make that trade if they have a prospect like that in their system. The whole reason the Rangers needed to bring in Rick Nash is they didn't have anyone anywhere close to that kind of ability. This was a team that was kind of stuck in a rut, stuck in the middle. They had no one coming up outside of the Derek Stepons and Ryan McDonough's of the world that would really put – and again, we talked about them earlier on this podcast – as good as those players were, they're not the stars that send your young teams to the next level. They're very good young foundational pieces, but none of them are what makes a Stanley Cup contender. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the Rangers make the Rick Nash trade if he's healthy and here in North America. It'd be, it'd be, it would be a tough sell, I think, to, to trade Dubinsky, Art Anisimov, and more to bring in Rick Nash when you have – those guys playing their rightful depth roles with the Rangers when you have stars already on, on the team. What it's interesting, it's, though. Interesting hypothetical, for sure. Um, before we get to um, sort of the end of the podcast, I guess, I want to just thank some of our supporters like we do every single week. I want to thank Mad Dog Brian, Tory from Manhattan, some of the, one of the OG Tory from Manhattan, Thomas O'Neill, Eric Stack, Mike Smith, Ben Weber, uh, Johnny Thundercock, who, of course, is always a fun name to say, Ben Waters, and Sean Taggart, who is running some good Hartford coverage right now, if you want to go follow him. I think it's hanging with the pack. Uh, any other final thoughts for this week, Gregory? It's just going to be nice when we have more than one game to talk about. If you want to ha- listen to us react to in- pretty much instant reaction, to be honest, of to the Devils game, it'll be on the Athletic feed this week. Uh, it'll come out Thursday night, Friday morning, um, and we will be uh, reacting to it there. Uh, some, some quick things to plug and some uh, housekeeping. If you are in the New York City area on Friday... We will be doing a free happy hour. We don't know why, but the Jim Mill gave us a free happy hour. That's right. The Jim Mill's paying for your beers for an hour, 6.30 to 7.30. We'll be there. All you have to do is sign up to our link, uh, our doodle link. It's on our Twitters. You can go find that up there. Speaking of our Twitters, you can follow Greg and I on Twitter, at, uh, Greg at Bushford's Break, and I'm at Orion Mead. Our dear friend Dan does a Reddit Rangers meetup slash Bushford's Breakaway meetup game every single year. This year is December 27th versus the Hurricanes. It is a Friday after Christmas. He has suddenly has 12 tickets available. If you are interested in going to the game, DM me on Twitter, Orion Mead, and I will get you in touch with Dan, and we can see if you want to join us in the suite on December 27th. Uh, other than that, I think we've covered pretty much everything this week. It's almost a guaranteed lock. 
that we scored the the Devils uh, win on Thursday. But if you follow use, you lose. So don't do that. Praise be everybody. Kapokaka scored his first goal, and I hope to see you guys next week. Love you.